Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Papaya Podcast. I'm your hostess, trying her mostest, Sarah Nicole, and each week I'm going to be dishing out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom or something like that. So get ready to get inspired, get candid, get real, because we are all in this digital space together. Today's guest is one of those, actually guests, uh, sorry, two people are coming on, but I was on an airplane not long ago um, and somebody tapped me on the shoulder and slipped me a note. And I opened the note and I began to read what is all about Deconstructing Karen, this documentary that I was asked if I would be interested in watching. First of all, I just thought that was so cool that somebody would tap me on the shoulder and slip me a note. It felt like it felt like school. And it also felt like I was learning about something new and exciting. When I actually watched the documentary, a lot changed in that moment. I immediately reached out to the person who slipped me that note and said, what can I, what can I do? What can I, I want to be a part of what you're doing in a way that sort of amplifies your work and what you're talking about. And today That person who tapped me on the shoulder is going to be on the podcast along with their colleague and partner um, in business, and I'm going to have them on the show right now. So please enjoy today's episode as we talk all about deconstructing Karen. Welcome both of you to the Papaya Podcast. Syra, you and I met on an airplane. I ambushed you on an airplane, Sarah. No, I love, I don't know. I (laughs) felt like I was in grade school. Someone slipped me a note. I was like, this was... And I felt like you entrusted me with something. You entrusted me with like this opportunity and this challenge to like take a part in what you were doing. And to be honest, I was like, oh, this like sounds really amazing. But I was in a lot of anti-racism courses and I was like, okay, this is going to be a documentary, but the stuff I've already been learning about took a few weeks before I actually watched the screener. And I sat down and I was like, I'm just, this is my afternoon. I'm going to sit down and watch this. And it was about halfway through that I was, that I started to just get really like chills over my body being like, I can't believe that even I thought that I was, that I wouldn't have something to take away from this. In my head, I thought this documentary was going to be about gathering women who had never discussed racism before. And they were going to sit down and they were going to learn about it. And they were going to learn about white privilege. And instead it was liberal women who really thought that they knew what was up to sit down and have a really real conversation. 
I was blown away to say the least. After that moment, I was like, I, how are we going to, and I put it up my stories. Like everyone needs to see this. Everyone's like, well, where, where do I see it? And I'm like, I don't, I don't have an answer for that yet. But I immediately emailed your team and was like, I, I need to talk to these women. I would love to have them on the show. I'd love to, I just was like, so truly blown away. And you had said, Zyra, that when you came to Toronto, people were just like so moved by that. I think you had had something that week that you were premiering it. It was an amazing, amazing documentary. So first of all, thank you for tapping me on the shoulder. Thank you for allowing me to watch that screener, to have that moment, to be both of you, to be here today. This is really cool for me, but also just such an amazing opportunity for so many to hear and learn about this documentary that I think is going to really change a lot. So let's start with the both of you sort of introducing yourselves and how, because I, I don't even know if I know how the two of you, maybe you discussed it in the documentary, how you two came to start Race to Dinner and everything like that. I'm so excited, but I've also seen the documentary and I need to get in the mindset that other people haven't. So <laughs> I'm going to just like let you to kind of take this for a second, talk about how this all came to be and how you two met. Cyra ran for a congressional seat against a long-term incumbent in Denver, Colorado. And this incumbent, you know, was really a friend of ours. She used to work next door to my husband. Anyway, when Cyrus' whole campaign platform was anti-racism. So every time she would talk, white women would line up around. Now, remember, this is a Democratic contest. So they okay. would line up around the block to say to Cyra, not me. I'm not racist. <laughs> I worked on her campaign and a friend of mine basically had the same thought. You know, I, Syra hates white people. I don't want to have anything to do with her. But if you could get her to go lunch with me, I would like that. So I go to Syra and she says, I'm not doing that anymore. But if your friend wants to have a dinner and invite some of her white women friends and you do it with me, we can do that. And that's what happened. So we did it. And it was like full, you know, white women, the Broadway musical, there was crying, there was arm folding, there was hand wringing, everything you see in the movie, actually. Yeah. She did some laps around the table to like blow off steam. And we just posted about it on Facebook. I mean, it really mm. was, oh my God, this happened and it went viral. It went fully viral. How long ago was this? This was February of 2019. So not that long ago. And we had hundreds of women then who said, I want to do it. I want to do it. And then Regina came up with the brilliant name Race to Dinner. Kind of the rest is history. We had tons of dinners that year of 2019. A big Guardian article about us in February, I think, of 2020. And we were about to go on, you know, Good Morning Britain with Pierce Morgan in early March. But then the COVID shutdown happened. So that obviously halted everything. And then we, we resumed doing dinners over Zoom during the, the shutdown period. And now we're back to doing in real life dinners. I guess that's part. Everyone who's a part of these dinners is fully aware what it's going to be about. And they're coming into it like, I don't know, like, do they do they understand what the conversations are going to be about? Do they come in thinking that they're going to sort of like get a passing grade? I feel like part of me would be like, I'll go like as much as I'd love to not say this. Realistically, I'd be like, I'll go be the good white girl. I'll go and I'll be the anti-racist who knows her you, shit. You, I've you done the nailed. courses. <laughs> is that what drives everybody? Yes. And okay. they remember these are liberal or democratic white women yes. and they come in, they have their civil rights resumes ready. 
They have, you know, these are all the things I, I give to this and I give to that. But they're really not prepared to look internally at themselves and what is driving them. Mm. You fully did hit the nail on the head, Sarah. I mean, it really is white woman exceptionalism. Like, yeah. it, it's, you know what? It's a version of white women sharing Karen videos where, where women are actually really violent and it gets caught on camera. Who shares those videos the most? It's white men, number one, because of misogyny. misogyny. But number two, it's white women next because it's not me. Look at those mm. horrible white women, but I'm the exceptional one. That's that's a big reason a lot of people come. And then you've got actually, you know, a handful of white women at every dinner who actually, you know, they're ready to, to do the work. They're not doing the, you know, I'm I'm better than everyone. But we see a version of that at every dinner for sure. Why a dinner table? You mentioned a comment in the documentary that really... I think I just caused me a lot of reflection, but why a dinner table? Because white women are trained to be nice and Mm. polite. So we know that once they get to the dinner table and the china and crystal and all the meal and the wine, that they're not going to leave. They're not going to get up and say, oh, F this, I'm out. Yeah. Where if it might be in like a theater or a stadium, they might feel a little bit more comfortable to do so. Totally. Exactly. And also, and also look, ultimately breaking bread is a great way to have conversations. Regina is a thousand percent, right? They're not going to leave. And dinner parties are like book clubs are white women's safe spaces mm-hmm. where, you know, you all talk about your husbands and your kids and the school auctions and, you know, your exercise classes. What if you actually have a dinner, which is what you do with us, where you talk about racism and you talk mm. about your racism. And then the next time maybe you have a dinner party with your white friends, you're not so scared to actually have a conversation like this because you've already done it. It's not yeah. so scary anymore. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode and for this entire amazing conversation. And I just want to pause to share a little bit from our sponsors. We've talked on the show before about our love for streaming and what we're watching lately. And Roku is the number one streaming platform in Canada with more Canadians looking to cut the cord from their traditional cable plans and get access to tons of free entertainment along with their favorite streaming services like Netflix, Disney Plus, Crave, Apple TV, Prime Video. Well, Roku streaming devices are perfect for anyone who loves TV. Roku's newest streaming player, the Streaming Stick 4K, it's faster and more powerful than ever. It gives you access to a massive selection of free live and premium TV, including Emmy-winning Roku originals, likely highly anticipated Weird, a Weird Al Yankovic biopic starring Daniel Radcliffe. Uh, yes, please. You can stream tons of free shows and movies on the Roku channel and everything is housed conveniently in your Roku device. This is where it gets extremely exciting because it is also a travel companion for anyone that's traveling this summer or looking to spend time at a cottage. You can take full advantage of Roku's portability. You can take the Roku streaming stick 4k almost anywhere, including hotels and Airbnbs, all you need is a Wi-Fi connection and you'll get instant access to all your TV shows and movies. Plus, it's a great way to occupy the kids when you're away. The Roku Streaming Stick 4K is available at Best Buy and other participating retailers. Visit bestbuy.ca to purchase the Roku Streaming Stick 4K 
I just got one and I am absolutely loving it. I can't wait to use it this summer. I honestly didn't think that sheets made any sort of difference in terms of your sleep quality. They just felt like sheets. Like, do we even need these anymore? Until I got a new set of sheets and everything changed. Today, I want to share with you about Cozy Earth. They develop and craft high quality goods with responsibly and sustainably sourced materials from the earth so that you can get the restorative sleep you need and deserve to curate your sanctuary, your bedroom, your space, your sleeping arena, and recharge from the comfort of your home. Cozy Earth is softer than cotton. It's made from soft and sustainable viscose from bamboo fabrics. Cozy Earth is also temperature regulating, which if you're like me and run really hot at night, it means it'll help keep you cool and comfortable all night long. Cozy Earth has also been featured on Oprah's favorite list four years in a row, and they have a 10-year warranty on all their products. I don't think I've ever kept sheets for 10 years. They also do a 100-night sleep test. That means you can try it for 100 nights, and if you don't love it, you can send it back for a full refund. Right now, you can use my code papaya at Cozy Earth for 35% off site-wide. That's an incredible saving. Thank you so much to Cozy Earth for that. Cozy Earth has provided us an exclusive offer for today's listeners, and that's 35% off site-wide when you use code papaya. That's Cozy Earth, C-O-Z-Y-E-A-R-T-H.com, code papaya for 35% off. Thank you so much for that cozy earth. And let's get back to today's conversation. Hi, I'm Claire Mazer. And I'm Erica Cerullo. We're the co-hosts of a podcast called A Thing or Two. It comes out every Monday. And the basic premise is this. We share all the stuff we think more people should know about. So that's apps, recipes, books, the nationwide haagen vanilla bean shortage that nobody else was talking about. Our no one. No one. <laughs> our preferred vacuum brands, of which we have multiples, and critical explorations of our unique approaches to paper towel usage. Listen, we think you're going to like it. A lot of people do. And who's to say you'll be any different? Listen and subscribe wherever it is you listen and subscribe to podcasts. Yeah. I mean, if I'm going to be completely honest, when I talk about anti-racism, it is always easier with my friends who are of color because they're not looking to wash it away or like it doesn't exist. Where I brought this up in my class I do with Monique Melton, where we were talking about like where the resistance lies. And for me, I'm like, I'm just still struggling in having conversation with my white friends because there is, it's not just resistance. It's like, it's an, I'm faced with assault, like verbal assault. And that is like, there's part of me that I still, I'm openly admitting this. There's a a conditioned part of me and an understanding that I'm so used to being safe. I'm so used to being bubble wrapped that in these conversations, when my friends are just like, I just believe that, you know, we all bleed the same. Like there is no such thing as color that I'm like, okay. And then I just sort of back away. I'm still struggling with, like Regina said, this, this niceness that causes so much essentially harm, but also causes this stagnation. So talk to me about, that's just me openly admitting like where I'm at in my own journey, which is like, I'm, it's, it's a lifelong thing, but I, I, 
I started following Syra and I had started following her before watching the documentary and every post I was just like, oh my gosh, this is a lot to take in. This is not who I met on the plane. Like what is happening? Like it is, it is who you met on the plane. I know it, <laughs> it is. is. And then I was watching well, the documentary. They like to deflect. Yep. They like to deny. Yep. So we see those things all the time. Yeah. So you're, you're dealing with that. Imagine with, what we're dealing with it. The difference is that we don't have the option of not continuing the work. It mm-hmm. is not optional for mm-hmm. us. Yes. I would like to say one thing though. It's also not optional for you, Sarah. No. So having followed your social media, it's very clear to me that the, the biggest priority and love of your life are your children. Am I mm-hmm. right about that? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. What would you not do for your children, Sarah? Help them bury a body. Okay. (laughs) Beyond that, I would probably do anything for them, of course. So your children's lives Mm -hmm. depend on you not fading away and saying that I'm going to be nice here. Why? Because white supremacy hurts white people too. Yes. It does. White supremacy is killing everyone. It's why birds are falling out of the sky in India. It's why COVID has ravaged the world. It's why gun violence has ravaged our country. And by the way, Canada is up next in that department, just so you know. You know, Regina says, you know, we don't have an option. We don't. I mean, our kids face open and notorious racism, xenophobia. Regina experiences it tenfold as a Black woman. But you don't have the luxury of not being in the fight. And that's what we're trying to... The reason we're doing this is not for our health. We're doing it because we need you to appreciate how white supremacy is killing you all and join us Mm -hmm. in this fight that's killing all of us. So if you're actually aware that it's killing you and your children, it's destroying their future, then you're willing to do anything, right? You're willing to do anything for your children. And I think that's the perspective that I truly, I mean, in following you at first, I think in my, if I'm being completely honest, it felt combative. It felt like Syra against white people. And I was like, oh, I don't know how I feel right now. I'm feeling like very triggered. And then I watched the documentary and I forget whose name it was, the woman who works with you. And she was like, I started following Syra on social media and I felt so triggered. And that's why I like to be here. Cause she was like acknowledging that that triggering was sort of there's something going on there. And I think in constantly acknowledging sort of that white supremacy does exist, that it is actually harming all. And it's not us versus anyone. It is truly like this is altogether everyone kind of stuff. I think just sort of brings and okay, okay, maybe I should ask this. When you are speaking and you're talking about white people and white folks, why do you think that we, is it always equal or like, cause I think everyone wants to be on like that, but I'm on the good side of whiteness. I'm on like, I'm doing everything. I'm doing the work. Does a good white person exist? And how does that lie when you're speaking openly to white people and people will say like, this is also racism. How do we address that conversation when it comes to addressing what is white supremacy and what is how white people are behaving in the world? When I look at white supremacy, I look at, for instance, destroying the earth for money, for Mm. profit, letting your kids get murdered in their classroom for what? Profit. Profit. Okay. Every time there's a mass shooting, gun sales go up and the gun manufacturers get richer. Are you okay with that? 
I didn't even know that was guns are very different here, but I had no idea that that was. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And, and answering your question, Sarah, about the good versus bad, I think this is a foundational problem when we talk about racism is there's this notion that racist, racism bad, mm-hmm. anti-racism good, mm-hmm. and that's what keeps people from doing the work. Yeah. And so you come by being racist, honestly, because you're a white, we all come yeah. through the sausage yeah. factory. We yeah. all come from the sausage factory. So when you do that, you end up a sausage. And what kind of a sausage you are depends on your skin color. I come by my anti-blackness, honestly, as an Asian American, 100%. Does it make me good or bad? No, it makes me human. It makes Mm. you human, Mm -hmm. right? Men are systemically sexist. Does it make them bad? No, it makes them human. What what, I think we gotta we gotta tear out these false binaries, good and bad. Mm -hmm. Yes. Stop Mm -hmm. people from doing the work. And so, what I think is, if we actually need to ascribe terminology, white people love terminology, checking boxes. Okay, you know what's bad is when you're triggered, Sarah. So look at what you just did. Okay. Yeah. You're triggered. That's not the person I met on the plane. I'm a nice person, but people can't see that because they're so triggered. But you didn't stop following me. You didn't stop following me. You not only didn't stop following me, you watched the movie, you reached out to Regina and I, and here we are. Mm -hmm. So does this make you a good white person versus a bad white person? No, it makes you a white person who's willing to sit in their discomfort, who is willing to get past the triggering and acknowledge, wait, maybe I have something to learn here instead of running and hiding in, you know, whatever Lululemon or tea, whatever, you you know, like going to tattle on your white friends as to what a horrible person we are. Mm -hmm. That's the work. That is the work. And I have a lifetime of work to do dismantling my anti-blackness, just like you. I've gone through the sausage factory. It's the same. Yeah. That was a beautiful moment in the documentary when you kind of said, raise your hand if you're a racist and all the, the half the people were like resistant to do it. But Syra, you raised your hand and that was a really profound moment to you, as you just mentioned, you know, your own internalized anti-blackness and then diving into, I loved, I loved how the movie sort of bounced between your life stories and, you know, this dinner table and it brought you into like, your trying to sort of fit in with whiteness. That was like a, a huge part of like your own conditioning. It's such a, it's such a beautifully told doc. I, I'm not even a big documentary person. This blew me away. How did the documentary happen? How did you get people to like sign their names to sitting down for this dinner? Because even this, I was like, how did everyone sign off to this? And I, but I was so impressed because the first, I mean, everyone is racist at this table minus Regina and they're moving through this whole conversation. And, you know, in the end, not every everybody really truly makes it through these conversations, but a lot of people did. And that was what was really beautiful about it. But the whole time I was thinking how these people have jobs, they don't, do they have jobs after this? Like, are they, how, what is going on in these? Like, how did they agree to this? Tell me about how the documentary actually came to be. Also the old lady that was at that table was like my favorite. I just adore adored her. I think I expected her to be like, what? I don't know what's going on. And she was just like, my ancestors own slaved and I had like slaves and I need to do this work. And I need to, I don't remember what she said exactly, but I was like, whoa, it's so unexpected. I'm a huge fan of, I watched it twice in one day. Oh my God. No, no. 
I watched it like almost passively and I like a few minutes in, I was like, no, no, had to go back and like, like truly watch it all, all again because it was really, really impactful. I really loved it. Sarah, from your lips to HBO, Showtime's Netflix ears, because we need to get past these white gatekeepers so everybody can see this yes. and have the same experience. Mm-hmm. So whoever's listening to this, if you've got a, a father, a mother, a sister, a brother at one of these big platforms, please take heed. But sorry, Regina, you're going to answer. Yeah, Patty Ivanspec with PB&J Productions. She's a professional. So what she did was a casting call. So she actually put out a casting call in Denver, inviting people. And then they interviewed them and selected the people who were going to come to the dinner. So it was done the way they do things in the industry. And she was very explicit about what this was about and why did they come for the same reason you said at the beginning. I want to I want to come and show I want to be on TV and show mm-hmm. everybody what a good white person I am. And those women today, how have they been in support <laughs> of the documentary? Are you allowed to answer that? You don't have to. Yes, we are. <laughs> well, you know, we have some who want nothing else to do with us again ever in life. We have some who, one in particular, who the, the nice white woman you saw, the older woman that you liked, they were friends. And this woman keeps emailing her and saying, I don't want to be attached to this. You tricked me. But Patty also had them all sign releases. So they all agreed to do this and they knew what they were doing. Mm. And, and, and it's not linear, Sarah. The work is not linear. Some people, I'm not going to even point out who, some people who were very supportive and awake at the end have subsequently gone the other direction. And some people who were not have joined the fight. I mean, it's 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 one step forward, 3,000 steps back in this mm-hmm. work. It goes up and down and across. And I think that's part of it is you have to get comfortable with this not being clean and linear. It's messy. It is extremely messy. I mean, the past five years of my life have been the messiest of my life and I've been a mess my whole life. And this was the messiest. And and it's going to continue to be so. I mean, the, I, in some ways, the people who hate me the most, who have the hardest time with my work are South Indian Americans. And I'm like, really? they, South Asian Americans, sorry. They know that you're not white. Like, yeah. <laughs> they know. And the Department of Homeland Security was formed after 9-11 to punish people who look like us. So yeah. It's messy. I and and I'll be honest for anyone listening as well. Like if you don't think that I literally had sweats before bed last night knowing that this is my first podcast today, if you don't know that I immediately knew that I would be called out for racist things during you know, and I think that that's been one part that has like I I'm a good girl. I grew up like just the goodest of good. I got married so I could have sex. Like I just was like squeaky clean. And so The discomfort that has been for me the last few years in really not just embracing discomfort, but like boldly stepping into being called out, stepping into being wrong, stepping into acknowledging racism, acknowledging privilege has been an ongoing thing that even years down the road into this, watching the documentary from like the good white person perspective, I still walk away and I'm nervous to sit down in this, even though we had like such a lovely, like there is, there is parts of all all of this that I think that I'm not, I I guess I just want people to understand that as you're kind of moving through this, it is not ever not uncomfortable. It's continually uncomfortable because it's never 
I don't believe that I was ever designed to feel discomfort. I think that I was meant to feel discomfort around men. And that's my limitation. Like, yes, hold your keys in your hands and have a phone ready. And you're taught about your emergency stuff and like how to protect yourself, but not how to be wrong. We've never really been taught and and come through conversations where you have to sit down and be told that you're wrong. And I don't, I'm so uncomfortable. And yet I want to keep having these conversations because I do think that these, and I want to kind of ask you in terms of these dinners, what's the goal is the goal to kind of educate white women where there's gaps is the goal to kind of launch them into more things. What is like the end goal and that you've actually maybe seen since 2019, since starting this, that have been really keeping you as, you know, two people doing this work, keep you in it because I, I'm exhausted in one conversation with somebody. I can't imagine entire dinners and building a business off of that. And then social media is off of these conversations where you're constantly combated. Talk to me a little bit about why you're doing this. And, and like, let, I know you answered me, a let bit. Let me say one thing. Mm-hmm. If it's this uncomfortable for white people to just talk about it, <laughs> imagine what it's like to be black to have to live it, Mm. to have to live the nonsense. And that's what I call it, white people nonsense, okay? And we started this business to get white women to see internally, to internalize this work, do the work on themselves of dismantling their own white supremacy, then take that out and start working with your sphere of influence to get them to dismantle. So we are recruiting people into this work to do this work. And it's a lifetime. It's Mm -hmm. lifetime. Like you said, you know, you don't watch race to watch deconstructing Karen or come to a dinner and you're done. You don't, it's not a checkoff. It's doing the real inner work. And anybody who's ever, you know, you've been through a divorce, so you know, it's hard and it's work. You have to do the work to get through it. And I want to tell just a quick story. We touch on this in the movie where my son is, talks about when, you know, he was in second grade and his first week of school at this new school, a little white girl says to him, you don't belong in the school. Your skin is disgusting. Get out. His teacher, who by the way, is a white woman, who is the director of diversity of this school, director of diversity, overhears it and says nothing, nothing. He goes into a state of depression. We had to remove him from the school. He went into such a state of depression. Sarah, you know what happens when I when I go in to talk to the administration? When I said, I want, the, by the way, his other teacher dealt with it beautifully. Like once yeah. it came to her attention, she tried to have some semblance of truth and reconciliation, brought him and this little white kid together, blah, blah, blah. And I said to the principal of the school, I would like for you to talk about this incident. And you know what he said? I'm not going to criminalize a child. So the first person he cared about was the little white girl, the yeah. little white girl's feelings. And I was like, I don't want my son's name involved in this at all. It's just that an incident happened at school and this is how we dealt with it. But, but that's how early it starts. You know, second grade, kindergarten, first grade, the white girls, the white kids are protected. And the, the violence that was committed against my son, they didn't give a shit what happened mm-hmm. to him. They didn't mm-hmm. care. And when I took him out of the school, the only thing they cared about is what I was going to say on social media. I didn't say anything about it on social media. I didn't yeah. bring my kid into this stuff. Yeah. But that's why we do this work. Yeah. Because 
this was happening to me when I was growing up and now it's how many decades later and it's happening to my kids and it's happening to Regina's kids and grandkids. It's got to stop. I actually read something really recently and I'm going to totally butcher the actual facts, but I'm just going to guesstimate from what I read. And that's that babies, infants can actually decipher race and they can start to feel that certain races are unsafe to them as early as one, like one, Mm -hmm. two, like, like my little human baby that I have right now already is feeling thoughts of racism based Mm -hmm. on her experience in the world so far. And I think Mm -hmm. there is sort of like this, oh, this is such an adult thing. And I know this is a very big thing in the States. Like, I don't even understand your politics entirely, but I've seen a little bit about it in the news that, you know, sort of like you were mentioning, like not wanting kids to feel like they're bad or feel like they're racist. And yet they actually have racist thoughts from infancy, from like little tiny babies. And that was really, I think, very eye-opening for me, especially like as we have like you mentioned, like there are, I have a friend who she was like, I've never had to, I've never had to think about whether or not I need to teach my kid about racism. Like their life depends on it. You don't ever have to have that conversation with your kids unless you want to. And that was, that was such an eye opening moment. And I think, like you said, Sarah, like this is our kids' lives as well. Like this is everybody. I remember when I was in my prenatal classes and they shared with us that breastfeeding and nursing a baby is basically a full-time job up to 40 hours a week. That's why I love talking about LV Stride because it's LV's new hospital grade, hands-free electric breast pump. It's powerful yet quiet, blending into the background of your everyday life without sacrificing power, comfort, or efficiency. It's lightweight and in bra worn under clothing. LV's lightweight breast pump collects milk in the bra, keeping your hands and body free to move. Like I said, it's got hospital grade performance and now it's hands-free and affordable. It's app connected so you can control your pump remotely and keep tabs on your pumping history all without ever reaching into your bra. It has 10 settings to control your comfort and suction and everything you can do now while pumping, like doing the dishes, laundry, recording a podcast, and it's not overpowering the audio. Feeding a baby takes up so much time. Like I said, almost that of a full-time job if you do the math. If you're pumping on top of that, it feels like double the time, especially if you're using a traditional pump that restricts you to one area for the whole session. So LV Stride, it totally negates this problem and maximizes milk output in very little time. Visit lvelvie.com slash papaya for more information. That's elvie.com slash papaya to get your hands on an LV Stride. Did anyone else just like clue into the fact that we have kids home all summer? (laughs) Oh my goodness. This is why I'm so excited for Varsity Tutors. They offer one week long small group camps on fun educational topics. Kids get all the benefits of summer camp, learning new things, making new friends, exploring their favorite subjects, all from the convenience of home. Their online format means that kids make friends from across the country and they get access to really engaging camp leaders and parents don't have to drive them anywhere or be on call to pick them up afterwards. 
There's also this really cool celebrity aspect that's super fun. Kids do challenges hosted by people like an astronaut for the space camp, a world champion in chess camp, a TV storm chaser for weather camp, and they get invited to online meet and greet sessions with these stars too. It's super hands-on and interactive. Kids think they're just having fun, but they're, of course, learning a ton too, which is the perfect way for them to enjoy the summer but still make progress as learners. In addition to the daily two-hour camp sessions, kids have online camp clubhouse with all kinds of fun quizzes, celebrity-led mini sessions, and downloadable activities so they can happily explore their favorite subjects as much as they want or as much as parents want them to. Camps are available in so many different topics, STEM topics like space, dinosaurs, inventing and experimenting, and weather, which I would have loved as a kid. Then there's coding for beginners and through video games like Minecraft, Roblox, and Unity. There's also art ones. Some popular ones are young animators and sketch masters. And there's also fun topics like chess, magic, ancient cultures, and financial literacy. You can go to varsitytutors.com and use promo code papaya at checkout to save $50 on any summer camp. That's varsitytutors, V-A-R-S-I-T-Y-T-U-T-O-R-S dot com and use promo code papaya. That's going to get you $50 off any summer camp. Let's get back to the show. Talk to me back to the documentary for a hot second. And then I actually want to ask something else as well. One, you talk a little bit in the documentary about the business side of it. And I think that this is a really important part of this because you can be so supportive of this work, but you guys are also a business. So how are you doing business wise and where, as we're kind of like plugging this documentary over and over, and like, we're hoping that more people are going to see it. What is sort of on the horizon for people having opportunity to see it from here? We're going to be so pretty exciting. It's in Toronto for, you know, the week. Friday, we're going to have our U.S. premiere at the Bentonville Film Festival. And Gina Davis just announced that she'd be introducing the film, which is really exciting. But that's, you know, I love this question because it actually underscores how problematic. So we have a book coming out Mm -hmm. in November called White Women, Everything You Already Know About Your Own Racism and How to Do Better. So definitely look at, it's already on sale, pre-sale. Look that up. Please pre-order it. That's one thing you can do. But we, in our acknowledgements, we put Penguin Random House is publishing that book mm-hmm. and it's, it was a journey getting it published. And we put in the acknowledgements, nobody is more surprised than us that the biggest <laughs> publisher in the world is publishing this book yeah. because these institutions are very white supremacy heavy. And we are trying to get global distribution. People who see this movie want to see it again over and over. You said you've watched it a couple of times. I mean, yeah. the one week that it was at Hot Docs, we have- a bunch of race to dinner scheduled for, for Vancouver. We've got two scheduled for this Thursday in Toronto. People want to do the work when they see the movie. We just have to get by the white institutional gatekeepers at these streaming platforms. They want to see white savior movies. They don't want to see movies that make them feel bad. So we need one decision maker at one. And so that's our challenge. One of you decision makers at one of these streaming platforms, get the fuck over your feelings and let people see this movie and they can make up their own minds. You don't have to play big brother or big sister. People can make up their own minds. Ooh, that's very well said. And also I just, I'm going to tell you something afterwards. I just realized I might have a Netflix contact. So (laughs) I might have Um, one. I might have one. (laughs) 
One of one of the things that I heard, and it always sticks with me, Meghan Markle talked about one of her teachers in high school had told her, never let your feelings be more important than someone else's pain and suffering. Mm, wow. I'm going to write that down really quickly. And that's a biggie because feelings, I always say, I, I, I'm not a big person on feelings. I always say, you know, whatever you're feeling is intended for you. It's from the universe or God or creator, whatever you want to call it, for you. Do not put the burdens of your feelings on everybody else. That's you. Deal with it. (laughs) Yeah. So I have a question for you, Sarah. Okay. You've mentioned, and I appreciate it, like, so you mentioned how uncomfortable you've been. Why? Why did you have us on this podcast? Because I, I've come to understand that discomfort is often where I need to be leaning into the most. And that's so often in my journey, I'll be honest, when I first, you know, George Floyd and Black Lives Matter, I very much wanted to optically look like I was doing the work. I, I It's hard at the time. I don't believe that I thought that the, that's what I was doing, but it took several different courses. It took several different, really difficult conversations to realize how much my discomfort was leaning me away from stuff and leaning me out of conversations. I think that when we actually lean into discomfort, you learn more about yourself. You learn the one thing that I had a huge takeaway in my last class was all about how white trauma is actually really causing a lot of harm. I think a lot of times we talk about trauma and I, I owe this to Monique Melton. Again, I just have to say her name because I love her courses, but she really spoke to the fact that we, or for me, I guess my takeaway was that white trauma is very much like a, oh, it's something I'm carrying and something I'm doing. And it's my triggers and it's my hurt and it's my pain and it's my suffering. And I have PTSD. So that's like a constant thing where it's like, this is my trauma journey. And this is like, what is triggering me or whatever. This is the first time that I ever in the last year that I faced that my trauma could actually be harming other people, that my trauma and my discomfort is actually causing harm for others. That's a really hard thing to hear. It's a really uncomfortable thing to know about yourself. I've come to get really real about where my discomfort is holding me back from not just doing the right thing, but actually staying in this work. And if being uncomfortable is the reason that I stop, then that's just, that's just sad because I'm, I have to, I feel like whenever I'm uncomfortable, I'm learning something, if that makes sense. See, you hit it on the head. There is no growth without change. Okay. If you, without pain pain, and there's no, and there's no change. You can't change until you go through the pain of inner internalizing what's happening to you and making the personal growth. For you to grow and change, there's going to be pain and you've got to deal with it. Every, all of us have to, or we never change. We never grow. We stay the same. Very well said. And I personally don't want to be there. You know, I want to continue to grow. Yeah. Syra, you're just sitting there and you just. No, I mean, look, I've had, for me, this has been, this work has been my metabolizing all of the trauma that I've experienced in my life, but all the trauma that I've, I've inflicted as well. Mm. Right. So what does anti-blackness look like for me? It's the same as it looks like for you, Sarah, crossing the street. When you see a black person locking the door, it's all the same stuff. And that's painful. Like I, knowing that you're on the receiving and giving end 
And if people can get to the place, what you just said, Sarah, and listen, you have a lot of, I want your listeners to hear this. You have, you, Sarah, Nicole Landry, have a tremendous amount of power. And we're using this. I can guarantee you, you will lose followers. Oh yeah. When, when people hear this podcast, you will, you will get hate mail. People's feelings are going to get hurt. You're a race trader, all these things. You are using your platform and your privilege and your power to uplift our work. And you've acknowledged how hard this has been for you. That's all we're asking people to do. That is mm-hmm. all we're asking people to do. So thank you for actually modeling, modeling what white people are supposed to be doing, frankly. This is it. What you're doing right now, this is it. Syra, you tapped me on the shoulder on a freaking airplane and sent me a note and look where we are now. <laughs> a, hand, a handwritten, lovely note. It was, I kept it. I still have it. <laughs> okay. it I, I haven't had a letter written to me in so long. It was, it was honestly really, it's really great. I'm so honored that you both uh, trusted me to come on to this podcast. I can't imagine how hard it is to especially trust white people these days, but thank you for allowing me to well, kind of have this conversation. Well, there's some we will go on. Yeah, there that's are some fair. we will not go on. Fox, Fox News has asked us on a bunch of times. And no. yeah. Oh yeah. Sean Hannity. They want us to be on the Sean Hannity show. Hannity. I'm like, I don't think so. Oh yeah. my, oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I'm really grateful that you're both here. Like you said, Syrah, it is playing in Toronto. So as this recording comes out, it will be June 27th, which means that previous Friday, it has started airing in Toronto to go see. After that, we are really hopeful that somebody listening or somebody that I email after this or find a contact with that we are going to get this to see so many more people to see this. I think it's one of, I, I know this isn't, I don't know when the documentary actually like began. When did it actually come out? No, it started shooting in summer of 2019 before okay. everything, before you know, George Floyd. Down. Yeah, before <gasps> George Floyd. Wow. So it, when did it first air? When was the first screening? Hot Docs. The, the reason hot I was on the airplane was to go to the Hot Docs. That premiere. was the beginning. Okay. Yes. I am... This is, I'm so excited because I just have a really good feeling that this is going to do some really amazing things. I think it's going to be worldwide. I think a lot of people are going to see it. I think a lot of people are going to have some very uncomfortable conversations from it. Thank you both for what you do. I, uh, like you said, it's not a choice. You do anything to save your children, but I also, there's a lot of people who I can't, I just want to say thank you because I really do think that you're going to be doing a lot for a lot of people and saving a lot of lives. We can only believe in that. And so I appreciate you. I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes next. For everyone listening, I highly, highly encourage you to follow the social media pages that I'm going to leave in the comments here. We want to make sure that you're basically aware of everything that is about to go down and happen and where you might be able to see the documentary yourself. I'm so excited for you. Thank you, Syra and Regina for coming on today and having this conversation with me. And for everyone listening, we will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening all the way through this episode. If you've made it this far, I have one more little thing to share with you. Did you know that I actually have a photo and video editing app? So many people were surprised to hear that I have one, but it's actually been around for a little while and you can join over 200,000 of the Papaya community by downloading my free app, Pink Papaya on iOS. While so many apps focus on changing your appearance, Pink Papaya is all about celebrating yourself for exactly who you are and expressing your creativity and your storytelling with nearly 50 free filters and tools. 
Find us on social and share your edits as well. We might just share them too. So tag me as well at Pink Papaya app. Just had to share that with you, especially as the springtime's coming. We've got some really cool things happening in there and so much more coming. Check it out at Pink Papaya app. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. Well, friends, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes or find us on Instagram at the Papaya Podcast. And if you loved what you just listened to or know somebody who would, please share it. Simply screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to tag us. Last but not least, if you'd like to lend your personal support to the podcast, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be oh so grateful. Tune in next week for a fresh new episode of the Papaya Podcast, and we'll see you then.